This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. Dear friends, we live in one reality. For millennia, we've thought we kind of lived in two realities, haven't we? We've, we've had a material reality and we've had right next to it or right on top of it a spiritual reality. But as we really think about it, we know they can't both be right. Science and religion are mutually exclusive and neither of them can tell us what our one reality actually is because at this point they're both belief systems, religion and science, theism and atheism. So how can you and I, who just are trying to live in this world and better understand it, how can we find the truth? Well, as you know by now, when we study nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead, we get a wonderfully complete picture of what actually is going on. And what we learn from the dead about our one reality is consistent with both quantum physics and the teachings of Jesus. How extraordinary that is. I still can't get over it. Our guest today is your host. I'm going to give you a from-the-heart message that I couldn't have given you until right now. Once I was afraid to speak truth to mainstream Christianity, which is one of the greatest powers on earth after all, I I was so afraid that in the first edition of The Fun of Dying, I just kind of whispered these truths. I referred to my infinitely beloved way shower and best friend as Yeshua. But in the four years since The Fun of Dying was first published, my conviction has grown that what I will tell you today about Jesus is as important as anything I ever have told you about death, the greater reality, your eternal mind, or anything else. This is the most important discovery of my life by far. I'm going to share with you what I have learned about Jesus, why why we have not stopped and looked at this sooner, I don't know. What else, what other area of our life do we sort of spend doing the same things we did a 1,000 or 2,000 years ago? Are we still practicing medicine by bleeding people? No, but we have not critically looked at what we understand to be true about Jesus. Well, fortunately now we can look at Jesus in a new light. And today I'll speak the truth about Jesus and his mission as I have come to understand it based on all my research. First, I have to say, if you're a devout Christian who holds tight to that get-out-of-hell-free card and he doesn't want to hear or she doesn't want to hear a different take on the meaning and the purpose of the life of Jesus, please stop listening now. I have no wish at all to interfere with your religious beliefs. Be comforted in them. For everybody else, that was the end of my script. I'm going to share with you today the glorious fact that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago as a real person, and we can prove that now. And I'm going to share with you the even more glorious fact that he is much, much more important than the role that Christianity has assigned to him. 
this is this is extraordinary. Let me first go back and tell you. In fact, I never thought I would do a podcast about this, so I'm kind of surprised at myself. But let's do it. First, let's go back and look at my history so that you understand where I'm coming from. I was a little Christian child. I always went to Sunday school. I never doubted there was a God. And then one day in April of 1955, I was eight years old. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I knew there was no God. People have asked me what that felt like. It felt like an enormous void had opened up where there never was a void before. I had always been had this spiritual truth. This I'd always had God living in me, and suddenly there was nothing. As I, and I was terrified. I mean, what do you do then? You're a child. I couldn't even go to my parents' bed. In the midst of my terror, there was a bright white light in the room. It was like burning magnesium. Very bright, but it didn't hurt your eyes. And, you know, I remember that room. To, to, to in, 60 years later, I remember that room. This awful lavender wallpaper with cornflowers on it in light and dark purple and white. Believe it or not, I had picked that wallpaper out. I remember it vividly because of the fact that that... This moment is in my mind still as if it just happened. In the midst of that light, just as it was fading, a young male voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. I didn't think that was surprising because, of course, when you're a child, you think everything is surprising. Nothing is. And so... Therefore, it was like, oh, if it, it was handy. If, if you forget there's a God, they remind you, and that's good. And I went back to sleep. But it was still vivid in my mind. I never told anyone about it. People who have this kind of experience never talk about it. I've since come to understand that. I never asked a question, never got an answer. I figured it was like, you know, driving or anything else that you learn as you get older. When I was old enough, I'd find out about it. I went to Smith College, which is one of the seven sister schools. Fortunately, I got a scholarship. I went to a fancy school. And what did I major in? I majored in religion because I figured when you get to, to college and you still are trying to understand religion, then finally they'll talk about this experience. But of course, I never asked a question. I never got an answer. Finally, when I was 20, I came home and sat down on my bed after my summer job, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in the middle of the day now, daylight. I sat down on my bed. I was feeling really distressed because I was never going to learn what happened. And suddenly over my right shoulder splashing in the room was the same white light, brilliant white light beautiful music with it and the same young male voice said I will never leave you so then of course I felt like the dunce of the universe nobody else had ever had this happen and it happened to me twice so I for years I would pray I I get it God I know you know you're always here please don't ever do that to me again and I have to say sadly that all the years since God has taken me at my word and never has done it again People have asked me who I think that was, and I've come to believe that that was my spirit guide. It didn't sound like God. It didn't sound like, you know, Jesus. or It sounded like my young male best friend. That's who it sounded like. And I believe it was my spirit guide, and, and I've never had any sense that it was not. And I believe that light actually is what happens when, because all the layers of reality, we know are exactly where we are. And when we open, when a portal opens, just a blink of, a, of an opening, between the Summerland levels and this level, it's very bright. Even in, even in our daylight, it's much brighter than, than this. And I think that's what happened. The portal opened a little bit, and my spirit guide basically said, uh, I, I wanted to give you the experience of not having me so you would know what it is to have me. And thank you, that was a gift. From then on, I've never doubted that God is real, and I've never doubted that I was 
constantly surrounded by love. I've never been alone in my life. I, I know that. You've never been alone in your life either. And perhaps if you'll come to understand that's true, it'll make you feel a lot more comfortable about a great many things. So I, I wanted to know where that came from. So that's why I began to do afterlife research. And in, until the mid-70s, 1975, Raymond Moody published his wonderful Life After Life, and people started to get interested in near-death experiences. Until then, there really was no evidence I could find. But that opened a floodgate, and we started to get good books about the afterlife. I started to read them. And uh, I would read, I read more and more and more of them, and the great thing about these books is they would have bibliographies, and I'd read the bibliographies, and they would lead me to more. And that's how I found this great treasure trove of early 20th century communications from the dead, Hundreds and hundreds of them were received through deep trance mediums and were searched by very serious scholars with credentials and who thought they were on the cutting edge, and they were, of, of major research. Unfortunately, they never could in introduce uh, mainstream science to the concept that maybe uh, theism w uh, was not something they should be rejecting altogether. Atheism shouldn't be their fundamental dogma. So science ignored this but it was there, and it was there for the reading, and so I, dev I devoured it. My problem was, though, here I was. You can imagine how zealously Christian I was for most of my life. I, I, in 1972, I married a Catholic, and I just switched gears, but I was a lector. I taught Sunday school. I was as Christian as you have ever known anybody to be. I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and mind. I love God. I was devoted so, of course, I kept coming to places in those books where I would find something that didn't jibe with Christianity. And I would, would just dog-ear the page and close the book. I accumulated more and more books that I couldn't finish because, you know, they, they were just not consistent with Christianity. But meanwhile, I was doing, and I should just say parenthetically, I also was reading the Bible every day. I estimate I've read it through cover to cover at least a dozen times, and I've read the, the New Testament twice as many times because I would read the New Testament, go back to, to Genesis and read the whole thing. Then I would read the New Testament again and then read the whole thing. So I got to the point where I could recite parts of it. Jesus um, is extraordinary. If you read Jesus in the context of the whole Bible and you just plain read, it's extraordinary. Thomas Jefferson said that the words of Jesus stand out in the Bible like diamonds in a dunghill. And I, I love quoting that. And, and he was right. He got to the point where he would read only the Gospels. And he read them in Greek, Latin, French, and English, side by side, pasted into a book. You can, you can buy the book. It's called the Jefferson Bible. Um, he was hundreds of years ahead of his time. I believe that what he did then is what all, everybody will be doing in a hundred years from now. But anyway, what do you do? I got to a crisis of faith. In my early 50s, I stopped reading the Bible. And I did that because I had become convinced that the, that the mainstream Christian teaching of sacrificial redemption was wrong. It, was, it is wrong. Jesus has never redeemed anybody nor has jesus ever needed to redeem anybody from god's wrath because god has no wrath every judgment i have ever read about was by oneself it was it was nothing like what i'd been taught and that was very troubling to me because i love jesus so much i love god i couldn't bear to have them be wrong but you know clearly they were wrong because i had the evidence they were wrong so i i tried not to think about it but i had read the bible quite a lot and i kept thinking you know he said a lot of this stuff didn't he in the gospels finally i got my courage up 
seven or eight years later, to, to basically, I didn't want to test Jesus. I didn't want him to be wrong. I didn't want to test him. But finally, I was willing to do that. So I opened the Gospels, and I read just the red letters in the Gospels. And that was the most glorious day of my life, because that was when I discovered that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, told us things about God, reality, death, and the afterlife that we could not have confirmed by any means until the 20th century. He told us big things. He told us little, strangely strange things that I could confirm. Yeah, he knew this because there he is saying it. And what's amazing about this is that what I was reading had gone through two translations. He spoke these words in Aramaic. They were translated into Greek. Greek and Aramaic are so different that if you read a direct translation from Aramaic to English, it doesn't even sound like the same thing. But somehow, by the grace of God, those translations from Aramaic to Greek to English are in detail, in detail exactly what Jesus said. 95%, some of it uh, you can tell, is what Jefferson probably would have called bits of coal among the diamonds. Some of it clearly was, was later edits, but nearly all of it is real. So we can prove now that Jesus is real. He really walked the earth. He really knew stuff that he couldn't have known if he hadn't come to us from God. No question. We can prove it. But we also can prove that the afterlife evidence is real because Jesus confirms it. We have a guy 2,000 years ago walked the earth with this knowledge, and we have had, again, by the grace of God, preserved his words. And, and isn't this beyond belief wonderful? I can't tell you the joy I felt when I found that Jesus, my way shower, my best friend through life, had told us all these things 2,000 years ago, and now I had independently confirmed it. Hallelujah. Of course, the problem was that mainstream Christianity had it entirely wrong. I began to be very troubled about that. I was still going to church with my husband. I loved my husband of 42 years. I kept him company and went to the, the Catholic church. Above the altar was a full-color, life-size, bleeding Jesus nailed to a cross. I would look up at that, and I would say, Why? Why? That's not why he came. He came to teach us. He says in the Gospels he came to teach us. Why the bleeding cross forever? There's a reason he chose that death, and, and I'll tell you what I understand that reason to be. I'll, I'm going to tell you. I say, by the way, if I don't get through all of this in an hour, if you go to the appendix of either the fun of dying or the fun of staying in touch, the new fun of dying especially, there's, it's just been reissued with a, with a foreword by Victor Zamet, bless his heart. If you read the, the, the third appendix there, you'll find all this information about what Jesus apparently came to teach. I'm already hearing from people who are reading the latest edition of The Fun of Dying and also are reading The Fun of Staying in Touch who are grateful for that. It's not meant to convert you. If you want to stay with the Get Out of Hell free card, be my guest. It's just that what we've, one of the th many things that I've learned from the afterlife evidence is that there is no Get Out of Hell free card. Mainstream Christianity teaches us, in many of the denominations, as we know there are like 10,000 denominations all over the world, but many of them teach us that you can be saved, quote, on your deathbed. Yeah, God's going to send you to hell if you don't choose the right denomination and you don't get saved, but no matter what you've done in your life, you just have to say, I accept Jesus as my Savior, <laughs> and magically then what happens is that you get right to heaven. And it's just, it's just fabulous, except it does not happen. 
It doesn't happen that way. But uh, so since there's no get out of hell free card, I'm kind of troubled to think some people will believe there are, there is. But but that's okay. Jesus will reach you in his own time. I feel a special urgency, by the way, about getting him separated from Christianity because Jesus is real, 100% real. And the more people begin to learn about the afterlife, more and more people are going to come to understand that Jesus is right, but Christianity is not right. And when people turn away from Christianity, and within the next hundred years that is going to happen because there is no get-out-of-hill-free card, people are going to come to understand what's true. When that happens, I don't want them to throw away, to throw away this precious baby with the bathwater. I came to the point in my faith walk, and I don't even call it faith anymore, I call it knowledge, in my knowledge walk, where I could choose. I could choose Jesus, or I could choose to remain a Christian, but I couldn't have both, because the teachings of Jesus in the gospel, our gospels are so different from what I was learning uh, in, in Christianity, I had learned all my life in Christianity. I, I'm going to break briefly, and then I'm going to come back, and soon I'm going to talk about what the words of Jesus, how they came to us, and what apparently they mean in light of the afterlife evidence. This is Roberta Grimes. Your guest today is also your host, and we'll be right back. Roberta Grimes spent decades reading more than 150 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead. The result is her book, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next. The Fun of Dying shows you why your mind is eternal. It explains how you can enjoy the death process, and it describes in detail the glorious forever that awaits us all. Now Roberta follows The Fun of Dying with The Fun of Staying in Touch. Learn how our dead loved ones give us spectacular signs of their survival. Learn about the wonderful ways that you can stay in contact with those you love. Go to robertagrimes.com for more information. It turns out that love really is eternal. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. As I think many of you know, past episodes of Seek Reality are available for free on iTunes. Many thanks and much love to our more than 130,000 friends who have already subscribed to Seek Reality there. Uh, I do this for you, and, and I'm so grateful that you're there and listening, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, our Grimes at robertagrimes.com just drop me a note. I always answer my emails. Today we're talking about what nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from dead people plus quantum physics plus consciousness research all tell us is the truth about our glorious way shower and best friend, Jesus. Here's the problem that we face in even trying to understand what Jesus came to teach us. He walked the earth at a time when to talk against the prevailing religion, which was Judaism, was a death sentence, an immediate death sentence. He spent three and a half years teaching, and he stayed alive long enough to teach us as much as he did, only because he taught in kind of 
cute secret ways. You, when you understand what he was trying, he was trying to avoid being arrested and, and killed earlier than he was going to be killed. You, you understand why he did what he did. He spoke in parables. He told us little stories and then he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wink, wink. He would tell us pieces of the truth. One of the things I worried about was that um, he had been wrong about judgment. But he was right about everything. He was right about judgment, too. But he gives us the truth about judgment in different places on different days. And he does that because he didn't always have the same temple guards there. They wouldn't put it together. But his beloved followers would follow uh, and would, would hopefully understand what the process of what he was telling them. He was trying to wean them from the thought that God was their judge and eventually teach them they would be their own judge so they'd better learn to be a gentle judge because eventually they would be standing before the bar and they would not be kind to us for the way we had treated ourselves unless we had first learned to judge kindly. Not only was he walking and trying to teach at a time when what he, was, what he needed to teach was a death sentence, but also he was talking to Iron Age primitives. He was talking to people who knew nothing. You and I are so sophisticated compared to those people. So he spoke very simply. When you sit down and read the Gospels, all four of them together, just read the red letters. I recommend it strongly if you want to understand anything about what's real and true. Read the, and I don't care what your religion is now. You don't have to convert. Stay in your religion. Just take our way, and best friend as your best friend too. And he's perfectly consistent with any good religion. But if you sit down and you read those words, you come to see that this is a, a brilliant 21st plus century man speaking to primitives gently over and over. He gets impatient sometimes. For Pete's sake, why don't you guys get this? He doesn't use those words, but that's basically what he says. He says things like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 2,000 years ago, he was trying to teach the truth. Only now are we able independently to discover what that truth is. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us so long ago what we didn't really understand then, but what we can come to understand now. But anyway, think about this. Think about the fact that he was living at a time and teaching at a time when everybody around him was, you know, it's as if you went back 2,000 years and tried to teach anything to the people then about, uh, you know, the space race or whatever, some modern topic. You, you would, you'd have a lot of trouble doing it because they can't even understand the words you're saying. He had the same problem, and he also had the added problem that he was going to die. He just didn't want to die until he was ready. So when we understand that, we can understand a lot more clearly what Jesus was saying. But let's go back. Before we go ahead and talk about that, let's go, let's go back and talk about this core teaching of mainstream Christianity, the thing that, that people have died for over the years. This notion that if you don't accept Jesus as your personal savior, you're going to go on the, on the, the escalator straight down. It's not true. It's a lie. But it came from something that made perfect sense at the time. Remember when he was teaching, we had first century people, Iron Age people, and what they were trying to do was make sense of a tragedy, an un unbearable tragedy. They had thought they had the Messiah, and they loved him. And then he died. He got murdered. How, was, how did that make sense? The only way to make sense of it, if you're a first century man, as the glorious apostle Paul was, 
is to package it in what you understand to be true from God. So you package it in ancient Hebrew prophecy, right? There's going to be a Messiah one day. But then think about the fact that we're still sacrificing animals in the temples. We have to sacrifice little rabbits and things for our sins. And we have to keep doing it because we never quite do sacrifice enough somehow. God still needs more sacrifice. You know what? Maybe that's why he came. He's our ultimate sacrifice for all the sins of humanity, right back to Adam. Jesus wipes the, the sacrificial slate clean. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because we have the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You know, based on what they understood then, that made perfect sense. What I'm trying to understand, though, is why it makes sense to a single living human being now. Why does it make sense? Here's a thought exercise. Imagine that you're... you're you imagine all your children are young. Imagine you have several, and they're sitting around the table, and they've just made a huge mess of the living room. And you're, you're trying to decide, now, which of them do you love the most? Which would you most enjoy watching be horribly murdered in order for you to feel good enough about the others to forgive them for the mess they made of the living room? Now, if you recoil from that, which you should. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I've said it in many talks at this point. If you recoil from that image, then ask yourself this question. How is it possible that you are more loving and more forgiving than God? How is it possible that you, with all your flaws, and you know them, I don't know them, but I got my own and I know what they are. How am I more loving and forgiving than God? I'm not. Not only is it wrong based on the evidence, not only does it not fit at all with the Gospels, but the notion of sacrificial redemption makes no sense. We can't call a loving God the same, same creature that would, and, and indeed, the Christian God is a creature. I'll tell you what God actually is in a moment. But the, but the Christian God that is so petty and so judgmental and so vengeful is a, is a human artifact. We've constructed in our own image a God that isn't real. God doesn't have a beard. God has no emotion except infinite love. That's all God has. What the afterlife evidence tells us God is, is an, it's an infinitely powerful potentiality, very like energy. No size, no form, alive in the same way your mind is alive because your mind is part of that God. Highly emotional, but the only emotion it has is love. The only emotion, love beyond your ability to comprehend it. You are so much more loved than you can imagine. I wish I could possibly in some way find a way to convey to you how much you're loved. That's what God is. And God is the only thing that exists. Everything else we think exists is, is a, basically something like a thought in the mind of God. But that's all a talk for another day. We'll talk more about that next week. So, okay, I am trying to help enough people who are interested and open to understand that Jesus is real, is the real deal. Jesus is your way, I can't even say it anymore, way sure and best friend. And if you will follow just the teachings of Jesus, you will be living the best possible life. I'm trying to rescue those teachings from what Paul did. Now, bless Paul's heart. I'm not angry with him. I love him. The thing about Paul is, if he hadn't done what he did, 
and package the teachings of Jesus in ancient Hebrew prophecy and in this notion of sacrificial redemption. If he hadn't done it, we wouldn't have those teachings. Think about it. He packaged them, and then they were in the custody of the Catholic Church for 2,000 years, and yet they're still so exactly similar or the same as what we learned from the afterlife evidence. Thank you, thank you, Paul. Maybe now it's time for us to open your gift. I'm going to start talking to you about what Jesus said, purely based upon the afterlife evidence. Now, uh, and, and when I call the after, say the afterlife evidence, I'm talking about what the, the dead have told us, but also what quantum physics tells us. It's all one. There is one reality. We talk about that fact every week, but it's true. There's only one reality. There's not a religious one. There's not a, not a secular one. This is all what, what reality is. So let's start talking about reality. The first thing that Jesus said, and I'll give you the citations. I'm getting this, by the way, from Appendix 3 of The Fun of Dying, so you can follow with me if you have the book. Jesus taught us about God. He told us the fundamental fact that God is loving spirit, and each of us is part of God. Now, he couldn't say, erase your notion that God has a beard. He couldn't say, erase the notion of this angry, petty Jehovah. And believe me, if you read the first, uh, the whole um, of, the, of the Old Testament, which is most of the Bible, that the, not only is God there not, not internally consistent, but God is nasty, often nasty beyond belief, massacring whole peoples for no good reason. I mean, that's not God. That has nothing to do with God. He says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4.24. He also tells us, this is also true, the kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17.20-21. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. John 6.63. And, and here is where he was trying to wean them from the notion that his death, because he knew it was coming, he always knew it was coming, that his death uh, would be a problem. Um, if you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. John fourteen fifteen to 17. Now what of course, what Christianity did in the Middle Ages was say, aha, we've got three gods, not just one. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the, from here, the Holy Spirit. No, there's one God. Jesus never said, I'm God. Jesus said, these things I do and more you will do. Jesus knew that all of us are part of God. In that sense, yes, Jesus was God, but no more than you and I are. And he would be the first. If you read the Gospels, you'll understand. He would be the first to say that. So Jesus, as he was able to, taught us the truth. He tried to replace in our mind this notion of the judgeful monster that, that we have believed God was. And I've been, I, was I was so afraid when I first was ready to publish The Fun of Dying that maybe I was wrong about this. Four years ago, I sincerely prayed on my knees, if, I've, if this is not what I'm supposed to be saying, please let me die now. I'm glad to die. I'm glad to die if this is not your truth. And all I've ever gotten from God since is, get your megaphone out. It's time to tell what everyone what's true about Jesus. And so I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm sorry if you don't like it. I apologize. We're going to talk about forgiveness later. I ask for your forgiveness. 
But I, I have a boss who's way above my pay grade and yours, and I'm trying just to do what he's asked me to do. So the first thing he did, of course, was teach us about God. He taught us about love. Now, there isn't a lot of love in the Old Testament. It's really pretty, you know, if you cross, cross the, wrong, the wrong line, you're dead, kind of dis- disgusting, basically. A lot of it is. Now, some of it's beautiful. The Proverbs, the Psalms, the story of David I love. Some of it is beautiful, but a lot of it is pretty bloody and, dis- and disastrous. So Jesus had to fix that. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. John thirteen thirty four. This is a very important passage, what I'm about to read. Please listen carefully. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Two. What Jesus was doing here, by the way, that's Matthew 22, 37 to 40. This is all in either the fun of dying or the fun of staying in touch. If you can't afford the book, send me an email, rgrimes at robertagrimes.com, and I'll send you the book. Or at least I'll send you this, I'll send you this appendix. If too many people, I can't afford to send everybody a book, but I'm happy to send people this appendix. What is he really saying there? At, in his day, what we think of as the Old Testament was called the Law and the Prophets. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He was saying, forget the Old Testament. Forget it. All the law and the prophets are meant to hang only on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm telling you today, Jesus told us, forget the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. I'm the, he said in another place, I came not to... Um, um, I, can't, I, I think I have it here. But he basically said he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So therefore you can forget about the Old Testament. Now, if you're a Jew, I think it's great. Continue to be a Jew. But just remember, Jesus is a Jew. He came to speak to Jews. He even said he came only to the Jews. And he's, frankly, your way show and best friend. So you can read the Gospels with, without any infringement on your own religion. But the, the dead tell us, don't they? Over and over again, we're here to learn to love. And he says that here. He has said, you have, learned, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Yep. <laughs> we're not supposed to just love the people that we you know, love. We're supposed to love everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. What he's telling us there is your neighbor is yourself. We're all part of one glorious eternal mind. Jesus knew all this stuff 2,000 years ago. We can only confirm it now. And it's exciting that we can confirm it now. He taught us the importance of forgiveness, which is the other great lesson beyond love of everybody that we're here to learn. For if you forgive men when they sit against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew six fourteen to 15. He couldn't say, hey guys, you're going to be your own judge, so wise up and learn to forgive because you've got a tough forgiveness opportunity upcoming. No, instead he had to say, you know, even though he later on says God doesn't judge you, he had to hear say, you know, you better learn to forgive. And as you forgive, moreover, the, oh, here is where he says it. 
Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. John 5, 21 to 23. He says right there, right there, he tells us that God does not judge us. It's in the Gospels. Why do all Christians do not, why do they not know this? He then says, moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. John 5, 21 to 23. He said that on a different day. He was trying to wean them from the notion that, that God was their judge. He was saying, you know, he's basically, he's maybe the new judge, guys. You know, I'm okay. I won't, I, I'll judge you more gently. But then he finally says, this is what I, I, this was what made me know I had to talk about this when I discovered this, you know, a decade ago. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. John 8, 15. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. John 12, 47. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the way, same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. John, no, Matthew rather, 7, 1 to 2. What he's saying there is, he's telling us what we only now can learn. God doesn't judge you. He gave me the, the opportunity to judge you. When you get that God doesn't judge you, I go on and give you the third step, which is, guess what? In the same way you judge others, it will be judged, measured out to you. You are your own judge. He says it in the Gospels. He said it 2,000 years ago. We only can know it now. I'm so sorry. I've got to break. After this, we're going to talk more about what Jesus actually said and what we now understand about, about it and what's true. Afterlife researcher Victor Zamet has long been a leader in the field of helping us understand what is going on. Like Roberta Grimes, Victor is an attorney. Like her, he was dissatisfied with the scientific and religious explanations of reality. So he did what lawyers do. He examined the evidence. And when he drew the same set of conclusions that every open-minded researcher has drawn, he began to educate the world. Roberta considers the free Friday Afterlife report that Victor and Wendy Zamet produce to be indispensable access to fresh information about our one reality. Go to victorzamet.com and sign up to receive their wonderful Friday Afterlife report. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-Z-A-M-M-I-T dot com. It's the best news you'll read all week. He taught us so many things that we're only now learning. He taught us to be to be humble. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Mark 10.31 The greatest among you will be your servant for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 23.11-12 he, he taught us a lot about the afterlife but what he taught us is, is things that um, I, I think you, if you, as you come to understand the truth, um, you'll, you'll see that he taught us all of this ahead of time. 
let's talk about, and he taught us also that, that um, and I'll, if I have time, because I'm running out of time and I got a lot to talk about. Um, the, an important thing I want you to understand is he didn't like clergymen. He didn't like religious traditions. I used to find it impossible to read these without wincing because I was a Christian at the time. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Mark twelve thirty-eight to 40. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are about rules taught by men. Matthew 15 to 39. In many, many Christian denominations, they don't put the Gospels first. Instead, they put their traditions first. And he is here reproving them. Why don't they read this? You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Mark 7, 8 to 9. It breaks my heart to say this, but Christianity has gone so far off track, I don't think it can be redeemed as a religion. I don't think it can ever learn to follow Jesus because it is so full of those traditions of men that he preached so loudly against, but they don't seem to notice that. Why don't they notice it? He tells us, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen, who is a spirit, obviously. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that's Matthew. I read only the end of it, Matthew 6. I ask anyone, I defy anyone, does, is, does this sound like someone who came to the earth to establish a religion? I don't think it does. I think it came, it sounds like someone who came to do exactly what he keeps saying in the Gospels. He came to teach us the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door is opened. Down 2,000 years, he's speaking to each of us. Ask the question. I will help you find the answer. I asked the question when I was a child because I wanted to know where that light came from. And all through my life, over and over, Jesus has put in front of me things to read and told me, read it. I don't care if it doesn't, if it's, it took me a long time to believe I, that I could read it, even if it was against Christianity. That, that was Luke, by the way, Luke 11, 9 to 10. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, Matthew seven twenty two. Now let's go back to that get out of hell free card, that notion that you can accept Jesus as your Savior, no matter what you've done at any time in your life, right on your deathbed with your last breath, and you get a get out of hell free card. He says here that's not true. Why do they still teach it? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, 27 and 7, 21. Now, what is that will? Let's go back. What did he say? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In that consists all the law and the prophets. All these supposed followers of Jesus who are railing against homosexuals, who are their brothers in every way, who are railing against people that they call sinners, who, would, who I'm certain are going to rail against me for talking this way, it's taken me a lifetime to say, okay, bring it on. I'll stand for Jesus if no one else will. All of them are basing their teachings in the Old Testament and in this false doctrine that Jesus died for our sins. Let's listen to the living words of Jesus. Read the Gospels, those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Buy a red-letter Bible, read the Gospels, and as, as Thomas Jefferson would tell you, and I believe him, and I believe, frankly, Jesus as well, who's saying it to all of us. Read my words, follow them, that's all you need. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, even if you sit on your deathbed, even if you've got that get-out-of-hell-free card, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, which means learn to love and learn to forgive. That's what we're here for. He is absolutely confirmed by what the dead have been telling us for the past 200 years. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is happening in churches all over the world now. We got our get out of fill free card, so we just call him Lord, Lord, and we're fine. No. That's Luke 6.46, by the way. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. John 8.31.32. When I really stopped and thought about what that meant and went back and, and read my, my Gospels over, I said, oh, my Lord, now I understand. Thank you. Thank you for this. Christianity is proven wrong. Its doctrines are proven to be wrong by the fact that we now are talking directly to the dead. Very soon, everybody will be talking directly to people who we used to think were dead, but they're more alive than we are. As we talk to them, they are going to be telling us more and more. Jesus didn't have to die for anybody's sins. Jesus had a whole different message, a whole different meaning, a whole different set of truths. And then I'm worried that people will throw Jesus out as if he had anything to do with these things that are being taught in his name. Let's look at what I'm sure will be thrown back at me. There are things, there are places where Jesus says things which imply the only people who get there are Christians. We know that's not true now. Everybody who follows the teachings of Jesus gets right into the Summerlin, no questions asked. But he is quoted as saying, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Now, that short sentence, or two sentences, because of that, people have been committing murder and mayhem and torture. Think of the Inquisition. Think of the Crusades to spread Christianity all over the world because then we were going to, quote, save people. Think about that. Think of the horror of that. I don't think he ever said that because, hey, it's not true, and everything else he said is, is pardon the expression, gospel truth. I think we have to think about what he actually kept saying he was doing. He was here to teach us. He came as our teacher. He wanted us to listen to him. I think he, what he really was saying there is, my teachings are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through my teachings. Now, 
You don't have to ever have heard of Jesus. If you follow those teachings, simple, learn to love, learn to forgive, that's it. That's the whole curriculum. If you follow those teachings, you will get to the Summerland and you'll be celebrated there. I could tell you stories that the dead have told us about people who especially were especially loving and especially forgiving. Another thing he's quoted as saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. John eleven twenty five to 26. Oh, you better get those, uh, those torture instruments put back together again because we've got to save more people. We've got to make them call Jesus their savior as we're killing them. That's the history of Christianity, folks. We look at, the, at what's happening in, with, with Islam now, and we should read our own history. When, we, when our religion, Christianity, when many of us profess, that is, when it was about the same age that Islam is now, it was doing the same stuff. But was that what Jesus really said? No. I think what he said was, my teachings are the resurrection and the life. He who believes in my teachings will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in my teachings will never die. True. That is absolutely true. Remember, we've been through two translations with this stuff. We've been through two translations, and it's amazing that it's as close as it is to what is real. Jesus told us repeatedly that following his teachings is what matters. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Which, of course, we know which one did what his father wanted, the one who said he wouldn't, but did it anyway. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Matthew 21, 28 to 31. Jesus says, I say to you and that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8, 11 to 12. That's true. That's true. There is an outer darkness. It's exactly as Jesus described it. And he is telling people who believe that they have that easy ticket, because Christianity now is easy. It's easy. We don't have to really try hard, do we? Because we can just say, Jesus is my Savior. I'm saved. I have people who say that to me. Are you saved? And I say, you know, I think so, but I'm just doing what God's asking me to do, and that's all I can do. Actually, I was, believe it or not, early in my career, when I back when I was a professed Christian, I was saved. So, you know, hey, I got it both ways. There is no shortcut. We are here to learn to love and forgive. Jesus is telling us over and over again in the Gospels that the Christians profess to believe in, he's telling us the truth, which is that there is no shortcut. There is no get-out-of-hill-free card. There's none. Jesus is much more important than a sacrificial animal. Jesus is someone who came to, to the, the earth to teach us these truths that we only now are finding out. 2,000 years ago, he came to us knowing he was going to have a bloody death and a horrible death. Why did he want that death? And he did. He courted it. Why did he want it? He wanted to show people that wouldn't otherwise believe him that there is no death. Jesus' resurrection was real. I confidently believe it happened. Easy, easy peasy for God to do that. And he was showing us, showing us that life is eternal. Your mind is eternal. That's why he died. That's why the resurrection 
but it doesn't buy you anything. There is no shortcut, and Jesus tells us that over and over in the Gospels. I, I don't care whether you profess a religion or not. I call myself a follower of Jesus. As I say, I came to a point where I had to choose one, and I chose Jesus. It's a moment that I never, never have regretted. I think Jesus' life had a fourfold purpose. He came to tell us what God is, done. He came to show us that life is eternal. Boy, he did that too, and he did it the hard way. Third, he came to t give us a taste of what the afterlife is like, and he does. I don't, didn't have time today to, to talk about some of the things he said about that. Finally, he came to teach us how to make the most spiritual progress while on earth. That's why you are in your body now, to make spiritual progress. That's the only reason. Jesus in the Gospels tells you how to do it. Learn to love perfectly, perfectly, and learn to forgive completely. It's easy. It's easy if we stop fighting it, and it's much easier if we stop thinking that there's an easy way around it. There is none. So, dear friends, I have just told you what I thought I would never say aloud, and I have said it joyously. I'm Roberta Grimes. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and The Fun of Staying in Touch, which explores the many ways in which our dead loved ones give us signs of their survival and also some amazing ways we're learning to contact them. My novels include My Thomas, the story of the American Revolution from the, from the perspective of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. My Letters from Love are novels that follow three generations of a wealthy American family and explore how we can use what we're learning from the dead to make human life finally work. Our ne guest next week will again be your host. For those of us who have spent our lives toiling in the fruitful valley between mainstream science and mainstream Christianity, we find they're both missing a tremendous amount of evidence. Next week, I'll talk about what it's like to discover those truths and to be shouting from the sidelines that, like that little child, can't you see it, people? Can't you see it? Both of those emperors are naked. We'll talk about that next week. Meanwhile, go out and enjoy this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.